This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us right now is Mark Silverthorne. Uh, Mark's the founder of Comprehensive Debt Solutions. He was a collection lawyer and a collection industry insider. For 12 years, between 1994 and 2006, Mark worked as a collection lawyer for four of the 10 largest collection agencies in the country in the greater Toronto area. Now, after a game-changing conversation, and this is in the intro, Mark, and I want to hear about this game-changing conversation with your eight-year-old daughter, Mark stopped doing collection work for creditors and collection agencies, and he crossed that creditor-debtor fence and became uh, began representing consumers experiencing problems with unsecured consumer debt. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here today, Elaine. And I also want to mention that you're the author of a book called The Wolf at the Door, What to Do When Collection Agencies Come Calling. And it's available in bookstores across the country and has been since 2010. So I want to hear about this game-changing conversation that you had with your daughter. Well, it started out innocently enough. We were in the backyard, and I just said to my 8-year-old, because she's quite inquisitive, I said, what does your dad do for a living? And she says, my daddy sends letters to people, and the letters say, pay your bills, or I'm going to put you in the composter. Wow. And, and, you know, I said to myself, is that what they're going to put on my tombstone? Is that? (laughs) No, but, you know, I would hope that my life would (laughs) contribute more to society than that. And I said to myself, from based on my experience, I could help so many people if I took that twelve years of, of being a, an industry, you know, a collection industry insider, and I shared it with consumers. Because I know all, I know where all the skeletons are buried. I know all the tricks, and I could actually help people. And I would go to bed, and I would actually feel like I was doing something, helping people. It's quite an epiphany so, that you had then. Yes. Very cool. So that did that lead you to write the book, or did you start doing the work and then write the book? Well, I, I sort of, um, I mean, writing the book was, was a fairly lengthy process, so I would say that I started to represent consumers quite shortly after that, within a few months. And then writing the book actually took me quite a while. I, I spent a lot of time writing the book, and I actually did a lot of research after I got the after I signed the, you know, after I signed the book deal with McCollum and Stewart, I actually did a lot of research, um, you know, as part of writing the book. And, and Mark, what is the the Wolf at the Door about? Who who's the book aimed at, and what what does it advance? Well, I would call it it's 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 laid out as a reference guide, and so I think the first section deals with how to handle collection calls. Mm-hmm. And then there's another section that deals with um, how to avoid paying a debt. And we get into things like 
uh, limitation periods, because if a debt's too old, you may not have to pay it. And other things like a person may be judgment-proof, or a person may be a senior living on a fixed income, you know, renting. They may owe a lot of money, but as a practical matter, the creditor may not be able to recover any money from them. There's another topic, another section of the book that deals with um, how to negotiate a settlement with your creditors. Because sometimes um, what will happen is people may be in a position where it's, it's a, they're, they may be able to take advantage of negotiating a settlement. And there are some creditors who will, when the debt is six months in default, they'll settle for you know, 15 to 25 cents in the dollar. And then another section, I look at all the various options that a person has. That would include credit counseling, a consolidation loan, um, a consumer proposal, bankruptcy, doing nothing. I look at all the various options, and then I try and put a dollar value. I actually try and look at how much does it cost in terms of eliminating one dollar of debt. And, and I think one of the ironies is is that nonprofit credit counseling, which everybody thinks is wonderful, is three times more expensive when it comes to eliminating one dollar of debt compared with a consumer proposal, which is offered by for-profit trustees. Yeah, you got both Elaine and myself smiling here because we've made that point a number of times on the show here. You know, a proposal by law, I can reduce the debt down, you know, usually a third of what you owe, where a credit counselor doesn't have the authority, so you got to pay back 100%. So, you know, there's your three to one. The proposal reduces it to a third versus a credit counselor, you got to pay in full. Well, the, the ironic part of it is if you're if you're speaking with a collection agency and the debt's old enough, the collection agency may actually send out letters offering to settle at big discounts. Mm-hmm. But the nature of nonprofit credit counseling is, or nonprofit, or, you know, uh, credit counseling is, they're not permitted to accept anything less than a hundred cents in the dollar. So uh, I think the government and a lot of people out there are under the mistaken belief that somehow credit counseling agencies are a consumer's best friend. Mm -hmm. And I would argue the the exact opposite. Some people might suggest they're, you know, wolves in sheep clothing. Exactly. Mark, can we go, can we go back to that initial first contact that somebody might have with a collection agency and you're getting, you're getting the calls at home? What do you, what, what's your sort of list of things that you tell people or that you've written about, what should we do? We're getting a call at home or we're getting calls at home from a collection agency. Well, the first thing I want to do is I want to find out um, what's the name of the entity that's calling me. And for example, if the first three to six months that you're getting the call, it's probably from the original creditor, the, the, the firm that provided you with uh, goods, services, or credit. And in some cases, we're getting calls, and it may be legitimate that you actually owe the money, and through some mistake, like you've moved, and they, you know, that, that happened to me recently. We moved, and we're getting calls from Bell, and I was, the poor people at Bell, I was saying pretty <laughs> nasty things to them. And yeah. subsequently, we learned that it was our fault that we actually <laughs> owed the money, and we forgot to notify them of a change. So sometimes, you're being called, and you owe the money, and you say, hey, I better pay that. Now... Sometimes they call, and they're rude, and you may not just be able to, you know, you just may not have the money. And I'll tell you this, 
they don't want to hear about why you can't call. They've heard every excuse in the book. Don't bother trying to explain it to them. So your story, no matter no matter what, isn't going to make a difference oh, on that matter. call. Yep. You know what? Their job, they typically, it's, it's, you know, being a collector is typically a commission sales job. And they'll get a base pay and plus a bonus or a commission based on recoveries. So they're not paid to listen to your story and get out their handkerchief. I mean, they're getting paid either to berate you to get a payment or to pretend to be your friend and get you to make payments. It sounds like kind of psychological warfare. They're, they're Mark, they're That's playing, exactly they're playing a, a different is. game, yeah. And some of the best collectors are the ones that position themselves as your friend. And then the other people who just berate you so that you would rather go rob a bank or borrow money from grandma to pay so that they'll just go away. Mm-hmm. And Mark, do people have to take this abuse? No. I mean, right. listen, when somebody calls you, I don't care if it's a, a like a telemarketer or, you know, uh, someone, you know, like a charity. If you get a call from anybody and they're saying you've got to pay this bill, you have every right to just hang up. And if it makes you feel better, if you want to tell them if they were rude to you and you want to make a comment to them, that's your business. And sometimes I've talked to people and sometimes they're rude to these people. And that's, you know, I mean, you know, knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. And isn't there something else we can do? I mean, don't they have to? Haven't we talked about this, Blair? If somebody's rude and they're, uh, it's a collection agency, correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, please, yep. that you can say, stop talking to me. Stop phoning me. Stop talking to me. You want something from me. Mm-hmm. I want to see it in writing. Yeah, that's a great point, yeah, Elaine. I, and, and that's in, in the province of BC. There's consumer protection legislation. You can say, I don't consent to phone calls. I only consent to letters. And the collectors have to respect that. But, you know, probably less than 1% of people I see even know about that. So, right. you know, the collectors yeah, aren't no. going to tell you that. I assume it's similar in Ontario there, Mark, with yeah, similar I, regulations. It, it's different in every province. And I think it may be necessary for you to send a letter mm-hmm. to the collection agency saying, you know, all further communications with me must be in writing and then keep a copy of it. And you may want to send it by registered mail because they'll say they never got it. Yeah, I, I say that as well. Um, uh, you know, Mark, what about uh, when someone calls and they're being, you know, com- completely abusive and, and different things like that, and they start to make threats, threats like, I'm going to be at your door tomorrow to, you know, cart out your furniture, or, you know, I'm going to be telling all your neighbors of what's going on. You know, how do you react when a collector is making these threats, and do you have to worry that there's something behind them? Well, I think the first thing that I would do, the first thing I would do when a collector calls me is say, I just want you to know that I'm recording this call. Yeah, I love that. And as soon as you say that, all of a sudden you've defanged them. Mm-hmm. Because if you record a call and and then you can use that, you can make a complaint to the, the BC Consumer Protection people. You could use that in court. You could send it to the collector's boss. You could send it to the creditor that collector could lose their job or be in a lot of trouble. So that's the first thing that I would say. I would say, Mr. Smith, I just want you to know that I record, I automatically record all my phone calls. Mm-hmm. And that's like that's like hitting them with a cattle prod, literally. Yeah, and even if you're not recording, that will have an impact. Oh, yeah, you yeah. can say that yeah. even if you're not doing it. 
I always feel bad, Mark, when we have this discussion about folks getting calls from collection agencies are seniors or people who don't necessarily have the wherewithal that you or I would have if somebody called or Blair called, uh, that we could take them on a bit. Um, that's... I mean, is there, have you got some, besides recording your call, which I think is a great one and anybody could use, are there some other suggestions for these kinds of folks? Well, I mean, I, I offer a free 10-minute consultation. I mean, I, obviously, I, I do not charge for that. I, I, don't want, I don't want people's money. But I'm certainly prepared to speak to someone for 15 minutes and give them the benefit of my advice. What kind of things would you tell them, Mark? Can you give us a little tidbits? Well, like, for example, in British Columbia... If the date of your last payment on an unsecured consumer debt is more than two years ago, then you're not going to have to pay the debt. Fair enough. Yeah, and that's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other thing is, depending on your circumstances, I referred to this earlier, there are a lot of people out there who are judgment-proof that essentially, even if, I mean, you may owe $100,000, but you may be, you may be living on social assistance and you may be a renter. Well, there's no way a creditor is going to be able to recover any monies from you, even if they sued you and got a judgment against you. Excellent. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scull, and along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, get a financial fresh start by calling 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. This segment, we're talking about how not to solve your financial problems, mistakes not to make when you're in debt. We've talked a lot, Blair, about mistakes not to make when in debt. Let's talk about some of the more common mistakes that people take. Yeah. And sometimes people think, you know, I'm actually doing the right thing here. How could this be a mistake? But I think as we talk more and more, you'll see how sometimes when you think you're doing the right thing, you're actually just enlarging, deepening the problem and actually, you know, working against your own objectives. Yeah. Like debt management's a complicated issue. It can be. And and the challenge too is it's complicated. And usually when you're faced with the decisions to make, you're not at your best. You know, you know, Mm -hmm. you owe money, your self-esteem is down. You're probably working like crazy. You're all stressed out. Maybe maybe your health is suffering. So it's a complicated situation and it can be a bit tough on you personally and emotionally to actually try to make that decision. And the idea that you're trying to solve one problem but creating another one, Mm -hmm. yikes. Yeah. All right, let's get to it then. Yeah, so first thing, first mistake that that can happen, you know, if you find yourself in debt and there's the old adage, if you find yourself in a hole, what's the first thing you do is you stop digging. Right. Okay. If you find yourself in debt, the last thing you typically want to do is take on more debt. Okay. And there's a couple ways that this that this can take take fashion, you know, one is by trying to consolidate your debt. And you're probably thinking, well, isn't this a smart thing? You know, I'm going to put all my debt together. The way a consolidation loan works is you owe one bank instead of, you know, five or six. Um, they pay off all the other banks. Then you pay the one bank with a consolidation loan, generally a lower interest rate um, so that you've got more cash flow and you can get out of debt. Now, the challenge here is that quite often people don't qualify for consolidation loans unless they've got a bunch of assets, you know, a house with no mortgage or a bunch of money in the bank. So it's usually the people that don't need it. 
are the people that can get a consolidation loan. Okay. But even if you're able to achieve a consolidation loan, I've seen again and again people consolidate their debt, they pay off the other cards, but they don't change their behavior. So the consolidation loan doesn't go down and the cards go right back to where they were in the space of, you know, six months to a year or something like that. So based on your experience, it's not the best route to take. No, it, it often doesn't solve the problem. It gives you some short-term relief, but it doesn't force you to really change the monthly spending habits that might be getting you into that situation. And that's the key is is that this behavior, your behavior has gotten in got gotten you into this problem and and that's what needs to change, right? Yeah, quite quite often, you know, and even on a consolidation loan, you know, it doesn't reduce the amount that you owe. It does reduce the interest, but you're still paying interest. And usually if you've got a debt problem, you know, just getting a reduction in the interest rate, you know, that's not going to solve it. Right. You need to do something more drastic than that. Now, you know, two other ways that you can, you know, essentially keep digging in that hole and taking on new debt are even worse. Yeah. You know, number one is payday loans. Um, very simply, do not start this cycle because it's so difficult to stop. So a payday loan, you can, you know, see them if you drive up or down any main street in, in BC here. Sure. Um, you know, various different names that have iterations of money and cash and different things in, in yeah, them. Today, yeah, today, now. Exactly. <laughs> instant. Um, yeah. The way a payday loan works is, you know, you get a short term loan, but at an incredibly high interest rate on an annualized basis, it can be 500% or more of an interest. Um, so what happens is you get that payday loan and you maybe you pay your rent or you buy groceries. And then when that loan comes due, you need to take out another loan to pay that one to back. Pay that one because you can't cover the interest. And then when that second one comes due, you take out a third one. I see people regularly with 10, 15 different payday lenders, everyone calling them, everyone trying to take money out of their accounts. So it is a cycle. Once you get on, it's very difficult to, to get off with a payday lender. Wow. Um, the last part here on taking on new debt um, is borrowing from friends and family. Almost always a bad idea. Um, you know, even if friends and family want to help you out, helping you out typically is not, you know, just paying off one of your credit cards and then, you know, not helping you change the underlying problem here. If someone really wants to help you out, once you've worked out a debt reduction, once you've done a proposal or if you're working through a bankruptcy, they can help you with some of those reduced payments. But, you know, similar to a consolidation loan, it's often, you know, just enlarging the problem, throwing good money after bad. And then you've got a personal relationship that you don't want to let that person down. Because if you can't pay everybody, Visa, MasterCard, and you know your mom or dad that helped you out, you're not allowed to just pay mom or dad. That's giving them a fraudulent preference, it's called, and that can be held against you. Oh, interesting. Ooh, that doesn't sound very good. And yet, you know, people, nature, for the most part, good-natured, want to give you a hand. Mm -hmm. Um, But boy, that can change very quickly if things don't go well. Yeah, and you you segued beautifully into our our second point here is, you know, they might want to give you a hand and monetarily as part of it. But sometimes, you know, the best of intentions, the best of advice that can come from friends and family members can be completely wrong. Because if you're coming to me, for money, I got lots of good advice for Mm -hmm. you, right? Automatically. Yeah. And, you know, even some people that are in the financial industry, you know, unless you're going, you know, with some very specific questions to their expertise, they may not know much more about the average person about debt repayments, and they might give you some bad advice. Um, So, you know, sometimes, you know, you might be speaking to a family member and they say, well, you got all this money in RRSPs. Why don't you just cash that in and pay off your debts? You know, just get this thing sorted. You might say, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Not knowing, as we talked many times, RRSPs 
fees are fully protected. You don't have to cash that money in. So you might have just been counseled to compromise your entire retirement, but you didn't have to do that if you had full information. I think that's one of the most important things that we've ever talked about is mm-hmm. the fact that they are protected. Your yeah. RRSPs protected. Yep. Really important. Yeah. And, you know, in fact, the vast majority of assets that most people have are protected. So, you know, when you go to a friend or family member, they might not have the knowledge to give you comfort that no one's going to show up at your door tomorrow. No one's going to start carting your furniture away. You will never go to jail for this debt. You know, there's a bunch of things that if you speak to an expert, they can put your mind at ease very quickly. If you speak to, you know, a well-intentioned family member who might not have the right information, you can end up being more anxious and more worried at the end of that conversation. So if I'm not getting advice from friends and family, what do I do? Well, you don't want to keep it to yourself, right? Because, you know, especially I see this with family. If, you know, one person is really shouldering all the all the burdens of debt and earning the income and trying to pay for everything, you know, you can very quickly self-destruct from Absolutely. an emotional and a psychological point of view. So you do need to reach out for help. You know, one of the reasons we do this show, Elaine, is to give people, you know, an easy way to access some basic information. So, you know, start off by listening to the show. We talk about a lot of different topics. When you feel comfortable, reach out to a licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah. Every trustee in Canada will offer you a free consultation at SANS. We spend up to an hour with everybody. The last thing on our mind is making you feel judged. The first thing on our mind is helping you feel more in control, helping you get back in the driver's seat of your finances. And you could even go into that first hour free consultation and say, I have a friend of who course. has this situation and yeah. this situation and this and this and this, right? We get that all the time. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Friend, family member, you know, even just, hey, I've got some general questions and that's fine. We'll, we'll be happy to help. That's a really good, that's a, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, What about if I'm married or I've got a partner and boy, oh boy, I didn't, you know, they wouldn't be exactly over the moon to know, or maybe we haven't even entered into a marriage or a a real formal relationship yet. That's kind of a, a tough one to yeah. start talking about. It can be awkward. Now, the, you know, obviously we advocate as open as possible, as early as possible in a relationship because you know, the more open you are about your finances, the better you're going to be able to manage things collectively. But one fear people have is you know, if I have to deal with my debt situation, if I have to go and see a trustee, file a proposal, or even file a bankruptcy, is that going to tank my spouse as well? Is that going to hurt his or her credit? Is that going to impact his or her assets? The short answer is absolutely. Absolutely not. So it's possible for one person in a relationship to solve all of their issues and have zero impact on the other person if there's no shared debt and no shared assets. And just by marrying somebody doesn't mean that you share their debt. It's the credit card bill whose name is on it. That's the test. Got it. And in, in wrapping up this segment, the last mistake that you want that we want to talk about, and it's a big one, and, yeah. and that's why I want to make sure that we include this one. Yeah, this one, an easy way to say it is you're confusing activity for achievement. You know, you're thinking that because I'm doing something, I'm actually achieving something and that's making your minimum payments. So if all you're able to make is your minimum payments, you're doing activity every month, but you're actually not achieving anything. Minimum payments on anything over a couple thousand dollars of a credit card debt, they're going to snowball out of control. You'll be on a payment plan for years and years and years. You need a better option if all you're doing is paying minimum payments. Now, if any of this information is resonating with you, go to the website, sans-trustee.com. They've got a ton of great Great questions and answers for you. If you want to make an appointment, it's easy. 1-800-661-3030 and get that free consultation and to find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents.
You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're going to take some time right now to talk to uh, uh, a client of Sands and Associates, uh, Blair's uh, Blair's good buddy Bill. Yeah. So, so thank you for joining us today, Bill. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, and Bill, you've been a client of the firm. We were we were just discussing that you know it was basically two two years from the day you reached out to us until today, and it's been you know in, in your words a, a bit of an incredible journey, a turnaround here. Um, definitely, that's the purpose of today is to give you a chance you know to share the experience that you've been to with the idea that it's going to help others who might be in a similar situation and are just scared to reach out for help. Wonderful. So I wonder if we could start, Bill, just, you know, open-ended. Could you tell us about the situation, you know, what you were facing when you reached out to us? Sure. Um, a few years uh, prior to my first contact with Sands, I was involved in a, uh, a recreational hockey accident where I was uh, hit from behind by uh, somebody playing ice hockey. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in a lot of trouble, and I had my first spinal cord surgery uh, that night. Wow. And I had my second spinal cord surgery uh, approximately six months later, and I um, just uh, everything kind of downworld spiraled from there. I was never had any problem paying my bills uh, pre- prior to that. I had a fantastic credit score and beacon score, and uh, as you can imagine, when you uh, have uh, those kind of surgeries and you're off work as long as I was, um, things happen. How old were you at that time, Bill? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> So we're going to go back uh, 45 years old, I guess. Okay, so you were out, I think you were telling me, Friday night recreational hockey game in front of the net, and suddenly your, your whole life changes with a cross-check, right? Yeah, I wish I was in front of the net. If I was in front of the net, it wouldn't have been so bad. I was actually in the corner oh, God. Uh, playing for the puck, and uh, somebody decided they were going to cross-check me from behind head first, and that was it. Bill, how long did it take you uh, before you realized you needed some guidance and some help with this? Uh, How long did it take before you reached out? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Too long. I wish uh, that uh, the answer to that question is I waited almost three years to call Sounds and Associates because I was always that guy that wanted to pay those bills and I was always embarrassed and just wanted to do everything the right way uh, or what I thought was the right way. And uh, as it turns out, I was doing it wrong the entire time. So uh, three years after the accident, I finally was in such a bad place that I called John Manson at Sands, and uh, the rest is history. Can I ask, Bill, what were the things that you did in those three years that you're probably being way too hard on yourself about, mm-hmm. but what, what were the kinds of things that you were doing to sort of stay above water? The paying everything, paying uh, Paying my bills, paying the interest on those uh, on those uh, credit cards and the debt, um, pawning stuff, mm-hmm. um, borrowing money from family and friends. It mm-hmm. was uh, it was very tough, and uh, things that uh, that in retrospect I should have never done. Right, but you did the very best you could with what you had at the time, and I I, I hate I don't like hearing somebody be so hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. So eventually, you reached out, and things turned around pretty quickly. Or can you talk about that process? Things changed instantly. I never received one more phone call from anybody I owed money to the moment that I signed the papers with the mm-hmm. with Sands and Associates. Uh, the process was so easy, and I was well informed of uh, what was going to happen. And uh, everything that I was told uh, happened exactly as planned. 
So, Bill, you, you mentioned John in our Surrey office, and, you know, definitely John's an excellent in, in terms of client service. Can you tell me a bit about, you know, your initial contact, you know, because people get very scared of that first meeting. Are they going to walk in to, to feel judged to someone who's going to examine in minute detail all of their their mistakes? Mm-hmm. Can you tell, tell us about that initial consultation with John? Well, that's almost like you just described me because I, I walked in thinking I was going to be judged or somebody was going to think that all of the debt was entirely my fault. Um, and uh, John was the complete opposite of that. He uh, listened to my story, and he uh, asked the right questions, and uh, in a matter of uh, a few days, uh, the process was in place, and the papers were signed to uh, to get the process started. Right. And, and what did you actually file, Bill? Are you comfortable sharing a bit of the details there? Absolutely. Yeah. I did a proposal. Mm-hmm. So uh, John gave me the differences, uh, told me the differences between a bankruptcy and a proposal, and told me what his suggestions were of what uh, suited me best. And uh, after thinking about it for a day, I I agreed with him. And um, he told me exactly what was going to happen in the process, uh, how it was going to take place. And I just signed the papers, and the rest was in his hands. And uh, um, exactly as promised, I never received one more phone call, one more letter, one more bill. I never received uh, anything. What was the thing that... uh that surprised you the most about the process, Bill? How easy it was. Mm. I wish I would have done it uh, back in 2012. Uh, to, to think that I waited three years to uh, have that burden released from me and that weight off my shoulders and my back, I was—I uh, just felt like I was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. Right. And Bill, those words are just echoed with so many of the clients I, I see day after day. You know, we we take this so personal in, into our own character and we, we judge ourselves about it there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, Bill, you know, from someone, if they're not familiar about a consumer proposal, you know, I explained it in a very you know, technical trustee way, you know, from your perspective, what did the proposal do for you? What was your, your life before? Um, you told us, you know, the, the calls and all that stopped. But, you know, in most cases with the proposal, the debt is significantly reduced and you don't pay the interest. So I'm curious of the arrangement that was able to be worked out. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the exact numbers. It's so long ago now, but uh, whatever whatever it was, uh, it was immediately, I felt like every single month all I was paying was interest on all of the credit cards and all of the debt. It instantly became one single payment that was completely manageable and was not something that had me worried and keeping me up at night. Um, I knew that the payment, the one single payment, the negotiated uh, payment was going to come out at a certain day of the month. It was paid to SANS, and SANS took care of everything, and it was so easy. Yeah, and, and Bill, I'm, I'm really happy to hear you describe the proposal payment that way. You don't remember how much it was or what you saved, but you remember that it fit into your budget. And that's, you know, very core when a, when a trustee does a consumer proposal. We have to make sure this is going to fit in the person's budget. They're going to be able to perform it. It's in everyone's best interest here. So, and I find when I sit down with folks, if we add up what they're paying in interest each month, almost every case, the proposal is a lower payment than what they're actually already paying. And the proposal has an end date. You're going to be done this in, you know, three, four, five years at the most. Whereas if you're paying interest, you're probably on the never-never plan and you may never right. pay it off, right? Exactly. And I can't believe how fast uh, time has gone by so quickly. Uh, we're only a few years into it now, and uh, the um, I've only got a couple of years left until I'm completely released of, uh, of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, that uh, my, my obligation to sense, and then I will be completely whole. But so much has changed in that two years. I'm already in a much better place and much better off than I was uh, the very first day that I, I met John. 
Bill, can you talk about uh, the kind of new habits or attitude that you have that you didn't have before when it comes to your finances? Absolutely. I'm saving money. <laughs> I've got uh, money in the bank, and uh, I've got um, going on vacation uh, next month, going down to Mexico for a week, and uh, that's just uh, would have been unheard of uh, a few short years ago. And it must feel very um, that you're doing things with ease as opposed to with anxiety now. I'm doing things uh, that I've, that uh, within uh, common sense and reason, I'm doing things that I want to do, and I'm still just keeping in mind that I have obligations uh, to, uh, to take care of from Sands, and my, I'm getting my credit back mm-hmm. for the first time in years. Um, my credit score is rising again, and uh, if, if, uh, if you don't mind, can I entertain you with a, just a quick story about a credit card very quickly? Yeah, Bill, I was actually going to ask you that, that question just, just next, so it's, so it's perfect, because you know when people come in to talk about a proposal, and definitely for a bankruptcy, they come to the conclusion before they walk in the door that they'll never get credit again. Right that they're going to be, you know, destroyed on a, on a long-term basis. Um, and, you know, I can tell you what the law says. You know, the law says after you finish your proposal for a couple of years after that, it's still going to show in your credit report. But I know people rebuild their credit far sooner than that. And now, right. Bill, you haven't finished your proposal yet, but I know you got a good story to tell here. Right. i still got a few years left, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, going to be fantastic. But uh, in my first couple of meetings with John, that was besides the embarrassment and the stigma attached to what I thought I was doing wrong. Um, I was uh, mentioning to John Manson at uh, Sands that I'm worried that I'm never going to get credit ever again. And he told me uh, that he has a, a few uh, ways that he uh, knows that I can establish my credit again. And within a very short period of time, I had a, a, a secured credit card, mm-hmm. uh, which had a, a manageable uh, balance on it which uh, I understood was just going to be temporary. And John and I have kept in contact over the last few years. And he mentioned to me uh, the next step is to, to just pay your bills on time. And in, a, in a, a matter of time, you'll be able to apply for another card. And uh, I guess maybe a month, month and a half ago, it was that I had that date circled on my calendar that John told me to uh, make the call. And I called up the, um, the credit card company and I said I'd like to apply for a credit card and uh, held my breath, and uh, a few days later I got a letter in the mail saying that uh, I've been authorized for a, another credit card, my second one now, and it now has a $5,000 uh, credit limit, so within a very short period of time I've, I've gone from owing tens of thousands of dollars to now having a, a non-secured credit card with a $5,000 credit limit that uh, I'm free to use whenever I want. Now, is there has your attitude or has your uh, how you operate with that credit card is that different than it was before, Bill? Like, wh- what's the change now? Yeah, no, I'm still very, very careful with my money. I'm just uh, very cognizant of the fact that uh, you never know what's going to happen uh, in life. And I've now the difference between now and before. I've got a nest egg of some savings in the bank for a rainy day, so I'm I'm just being very, very careful. And and it's good to be able to just go out and just spend what I want uh, within reason, right? You've been so honest uh, in this interview, Bill, about the the things that you're so grateful for and appreciative of and, and the, the action that you've taken. H- have you got any more words of advice for folks who may be listening and, and really what your story is resonating with them and they're hesitant to do something or to take action? Is there some advice you can give to those people? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to just be very honest. Um, John Manson, at uh, the Surrey office, uh, literally saved my life. I don't know wow. where I would be 
uh, today if I wouldn't have walked into his office and had that first initial conversation. So um, Sands and Associates uh, did exactly what they told me they were going to do. So my words of advice is if there's anybody out there that feels like their life is spiraling, that uh, their debt is out of control, uh, whether it's uh, for their own fault or within, without uh, uh, in my situation where it was uh, with, uh, not within my uh, ability to pay because of an accident, uh, you owe it to yourself, to your family, to make a quick call, to have a consultation, and just to uh, have an honest opinion of where you're at. And I think you're going to be very, very surprised about uh, where you are. Bill, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to uh, tell us your story. It's so important. Any, you know, there's so many pieces that someone might hear and go, oh boy, that sounds like me, or that sounds like somebody I know that could, could get some help there. So, so appreciate that. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Sophie Salcedo is on the line with that. She's a wealth advisor at Van City, has a ton of experience providing good financial advice. She loves what she does, wants to make financial independence achievable and easy to understand. And of course, Van City is, I didn't realize this, but uh, the largest community credit union in the country, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I've been a member for a long time, but I didn't know that. Sophie, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Now, we know there's tons of banking options uh, available to consumers today. Uh, We'd like to highlight some of the ways that people can choose well and get the most out of their money, including me and Blair. We'd like to get the most out of our money. Of course. What are some of the, let's start really at the very basics of Banking 101. What are some of the uh, kind of the basic accounts that we should consider having? Yeah, well, let's just start with some very simple ones. I mean, most everybody and most people probably already have, they should have a checking account. So you need to have a type of account where your paycheck's going in and then you can do your automated bill payments right back out of it that way. And I would say the next thing people need is some sort of savings or they're very often called high interest savings accounts today. So your checking account's going to pay you very little in interest. We know rates are low. So anything over and above your needed spending for the month, you might want to tuck away in like a higher interest savings account. And the last one I would highlight is um, opening up a tax-free savings account. That's another basic account type that people can use to just store some cash tax-free. Let's talk about those a little bit more, that tax-free savings account. Not everybody, and it's hard to believe, but mm-hmm. not everybody knows about this. Yes. So I, yes, I keep having these conversations again and again and again. Right. Just trying to get the word out. Yeah, I they, know. They are the golden goose in my mind. So the more I use them with my clients... What's really important to understand is there's there's really two main purposes for them. Number one, it can be your emergency cash. Even tuck in $500 or $1,000 in there, but you just won't owe anybody any tax on what you earn. You'll keep all the money, so use it for that. And number two is if if you're further along your financial path and you've got extra dollars, and in fact, if you have enough savings that it may even go through to an inheritance, they're actually an estate tool, and you need to top that thing up every year and pass as much money as you can to your beneficiary tax-free. Okay, so what's my limit that I can put in on an annual basis? 
So right now it's $5,500, and every Canadian, if they were of age when the plan started, can have can deposit $52,000. So now explain to me one more time, because I'm not particularly bright when it comes to money, how is that a tax-free savings account? So it's essentially a registered plan again. So it's going to be attached to your social insurance number, and the government is allowing every Canadian resident to have such a plan, and whatever they invest and earn in there, you're allowed to take money back out and use it whenever you need it, and you're not going to owe the government any tax on that money. And let's talk about quickly the reason why, because they probably know that they can't afford all the costs that are coming upon us, barreling down our health care, education, etc., and they're worried, and they want, they're encouraging people to save, so, so take advantage of it. Very cool. Now, you did talk about a savings account. And while I personally think it's a good idea because I've had one forever, Mm -hmm. um, I don't always feel like I'm getting the most out of my savings account. Yeah. So this is where it's going to be best to come in for financial advice from someone like a financial advisor like myself. And we need to take a look at your whole picture. And if you if you are, if you've got money that's been sitting there for year after year, it's extra and you haven't used it, it needs to go in the right place. So it either, and it can be invested with a longer term purpose to try to earn you more. So you need to have a conversation. So that could be something too that I could put in my tax-free savings account, yep. right? Yeah, definitely. Would make some sense. Excellent. Tur- turning the page a, a little bit, um, Sophie, just looking on the other side of the, the ledger or the balance sheet, so to speak, mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. credit, um, you know, in credit cards, I wonder if we can start kind of basic, you know, what's the difference between a standard credit card and a prepaid card or even a secured card? I know Van City has some different options there. Yes, yes, we do. Yeah. So definitely this, a good starting point to discuss is the secured credit card, which I'm glad you brought that up. I might have missed that. But very often when we're teaching youth and teens about credit and as a parent, you may actually be okay with helping your child um, qualify for a credit card. At Van City, we would set up a secured credit card for the first time for that person where they're going to start to get a credit history and say have a $500 limit and put a term deposit at the Van City Bank account that's going to secure the spending of up to $500 on that credit card. So it's a good way to, re- to raise your credit history and a safe way that the institution like Van City is going to allow that to happen. So there's no risk to the individual because if they, you yeah. know, don't pay the bill, Van City's yeah. going to cash in the term deposit and, and that's that. They're not going to, you know, charge themselves into the poorhouse, so to speak. Exactly. So it's a, it's a very good learning lesson on how to start the use of credit. So that's a great way to start for someone younger. Um, and then the prepaid card is a little bit of a different animal, and we do offer those at Van City as well. And so that's and that can be used actually as a gift card. So it can it's it functions like a, a credit card essentially. And someone comes into a branch and loads up this prepaid card with a certain amount of money. Um, they've loaded it up, and now they can give that away as a gift, or again, it could be used by a child. And they can spend on that card as a credit card up to that amount that's on the card. Right. And I have a lot of my clients who, when they come out of either a bankruptcy or a proposal, they want to rebuild credit. And a lot of them, they don't understand the difference with a secured versus a prepaid card. And I think you did a great job of explaining it there, Sophie. You know, the prepaid card, it could be a gift. Anybody can use it. It's not directly tied to an individual, and it doesn't help build your credit. Is that, that the fair difference? That's the main point right there. Yeah, it does not help build your credit. So there's no linkage to Equifax or a credit rating agency showing you diligently. Because, again, it's nothing being paid off monthly. It's just a one lump sum that's being spent. So that's that's the main difference, yeah. And are there typically fees with secured credit cards and prepaid cards? With secured credit cards, um, we wouldn't have a fee. With a prepaid card, I believe there is a small charge. Right. Um, yeah. 
So, so that's a little bit of a difference there too. And then, of course, your standard credit cards. Um, again, the, the main thing there is just really being conscious of how much credit do you really need and how many cards should you have. It's far too easy for us to apply for too many cards because the, the manufacturers make it so enticing, right, to save 15% today if you get a card. So mm-hmm. you feel like you need to do it. You feel like you're, you're not smart if you don't do it. And so uh, the way I always tell people to think about it is you need to understand that when you apply for credit, we're all watching you behind the scenes, meaning all the financial <laughs> institutions are watching you. That's your credit and, rating, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so you need, and I, because I work here, it's very, it's, it's in the forefront of my mind. So I, I'm always thinking, I would always think before I ever signed off to allow anyone to run a credit check for me. I want to know why you need it. Do I need it to be run for me as well? And also um, thinking about what's it going to look like? How does it reflect on me? Because that's what we look at now. And so we would see you as having credit-seeking behavior if you've applied for too many different types of credit. So be diligent with your credit card. And, of course, number one rule always is don't spend more than you can pay back. So you've got to do your best to keep on top of paying it back. So what are the advantages then if you've never had a credit card before? What are the kinds of things that I, like a bit of a litmus test that I would mm-hmm. run through my own brain before yeah. I applied for one? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So uh, today we're all living in the world with points, right? Everybody's collecting points and should be collecting points. And so I've had to teach a few people, including my mom, <laughs> charge everything that you're buying. If you're a diligent person and you pay it off every month, and at Van City we actually can automate it so you don't even miss a payment as long as the cash is in your bank account or you just use your line of credit, you're going to pay it off that way. And charge as much as you can to get the points back that are going to lead you to maybe help pay for a travel flight of Advanced City, we have points that are cash back as well for members, so they build up a lot of cash that way and then take the cash and do something else with it. So you need to look for the best rewards points that's going to help you. Advanced City, we have um, Enviro cards, so some of our profits go back to environmental causes, so a lot of our members like to know that that's being done behind the scenes for our cards as well. The, um, yeah, yeah, and go ahead. And, and just really, again, you don't need too many. So, you know, I try to keep a limit on how many I have, but I know that each card is, has a certain function behind it. So either we all talk about Costco now, right, only taking a certain type of credit card. So I, I need to, to know how I want to pay for the things at Costco. And so I've got that set and just knowing what your habits are and how to satisfy them. Is there any kind of movement uh, within banks issuing these credit cards for the interest that they charge on the uh, on the uh, you know at the end of the month if I haven't paid it off? Um, so, so ask me that question again one more time. So, is there any difference in the interest rate that banks are charging for their credit cards? Yeah, so you definitely need to. That's another major factor, especially if you are fearing you might not be able to pay it off every month. So some cards, uh, Van City has a low interest credit card. So you're going to be careful and always ask what is the credit card charge? What's the interest rate charge on that credit if it's going to be outstanding? And, and you should be looking for the lowest rate if you are going to be in holding a balance. So there can be a bit of a difference sometimes. Definitely. Excellent. Uh, Sophie is an advisor at Van City with just a ton of good experience providing financial advice. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scullin along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates getting a financial fresh start. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.